Hey everybody, before we get to our episode on Ms. Marvel, we wanted to take a minute to address the United States Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade on June 24th, which stripped away the right to have a safe and legal abortion. Restricting access to comprehensive reproductive care, including abortion, threatens the health and independence of all people, which we have already seen with abortion bans and restrictions in countries like Poland and Malta. So this decision has dire consequences, and it could have harsh repercussions for other landmark decisions within the United States. We encourage our audience, American and otherwise, to learn more about what you can do to help at podvoices.help. We encourage you to speak up, take care, and spread the word. And you know that this means a lot to us because we've talked about abortion and reproductive care numerous times on the podcast, so... Yes, and the likely resultant decisions, things about same-sex marriage and access Mm -hmm. to birth control, these are things that we also really care about. So we'll keep talking about it on the show, but we wanted to draw your attention to it today. Welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm Kamala Khan. <laughs> you wish, ma'am. I so wish. <laughs> I wish it so much. <laughs> and our show is created on the traditional lands of the Haudenosaunee, the Huron-Wendat, and the Anishinaabe on lands connected to the Toronto Purchase Treaty 13 of 1805 and on the Tecumlupstay Sequetan territory within the unceded traditional lands of Sequetan Ulu. And today's text, Ms. Marvel, is set primarily in Jersey City, New Jersey, the traditional home of the Munsee Lenape peoples. And although the show doesn't deal with Indigenous characters at all, it is absolutely a show that deals with the concept of colonization and its mm-hmm. aftermath in ways that really surprised me. So I'm excited to get into it today. Yeah, it's kind of fun because we're recording things a little bit out of order. So we're actually going to talk about a major text that does not want to deal with colonialism (laughs) in just a couple of weeks. So it was interesting to have recorded that conversation, be very frustrated, and then get to watch this Marvel TV show, which is like, hey, we're going to spend two episodes talking about partition. Yeah, and like, it really nuanced in interesting ways. I was... I was genuinely surprised. And I was seeing all this chatter on Twitter that was like, wow, I'm learning more about partition from Ms. Marvel than I ever learned in like my world history class, Mm -hmm, which I think was probably mm -hmm. true for a lot of people. Oh, 100%. Yes. So I want to start by doing our usual plot summary. But like, Joe, I'm not going to try to summarize like everything that's ever happened. In Ms. Marvel, I promise. No, because we're talking about, like, how many volumes of comics at this point? You said you read 10. I reread two for this podcast. But yeah, like, it's so many comics. It's so many comics. Yeah, so I read, I reread the first 10 volumes, which are all the volumes that were written by G. Willow Wilson, because okay. I'm a big, big fan. Mm-hmm. Um, and because the series does change pretty significantly when... Mm-hmm. Um, When it moves over to being written by Saladin Ahmed, they're also excellent, but it's not the material that the show is based on. So I was just focusing on the first 10. And actually, the show kind of covers somehow all 10 volumes. But I'm Mm -hmm. just going to kind of give the broad brushstrokes about the character. And then we'll we'll take it from there, I think, Joe, if that makes sense to you. Mm -hmm. Sounds good. 
Okay, so um, Ms. Marvel first appeared in August of 2013. She's an original Marvel Comics character created by editor Sana Amanat and writer G. Willow Wilson, um, as well as the first artist on the series, Adrian Alfona and Jamie McKelvey. This is the very first ever Muslim character to headline her own series. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that is most interesting about Ms. Marvel is that her her Muslimness, the fact that she is Pakistani American, and also the fact that she is from Jersey City and like strongly identifies with being kind of not from New York, not from the metropolis yeah. where most stories in the Marvel universe seem to happen. Um, mm-hmm. These are all kind of equally important components of her character. And so we end up with a teen girl superhero who dresses modestly, but extremely coolly, mm-hmm. <laughs> represents her community, but her community writ large, right? She's not just a superhero defender of Pakistani Americans, although she is that. She's also a superhero defender of Jersey City, this place mm-hmm. that is so close to the center and yet so forgotten. And, yes. and I love that interplay in her character. I find it really fascinating. The major characters in the series are really Kamala's family, um, her father Yusuf and her mother Muniba um, and her brother Amir. And Kamala's parents are very, I don't know, they're like, they're modern, they're passionate about this intersection between American culture and where they've come from. Mm-hmm. They often have challenges with Kamala about the amount of freedom that she wants access to. Yep. And then they also have this son, Amir, who is like profoundly religious, who is, you know, seeking eventually in the series, he goes on to um, take over the mosque when the imam is ill. Like, he really has this very kind of conservative set of values. Yes. And there's this fascinating arc with his character, too, which I, I just really love, where he he feels like conservative Americans should Mm -hmm. like him like they should get along with him they have very much the same values around like family and the importance of religion and faith and he kind of except for that one little problem (laughs) yeah that one little problem that he's a brown man and a muslim and Mm -hmm. it's kind of this realization that he will always be outside of those conversations that is really defining to his character so there's a lot going on in the family dynamics alone before you even get to the part where Kamala gets superpowers, which happens one night. Um, it's part of the Inhuman storyline. If you're a Marvels fan, this Terrigen mist is released throughout the world and it activates dormant Inhuman cells. And mm-hmm. at first, they think that's what's going on with Kamala, but uh, it's maybe not actually. But that's the night right. that her powers get unveiled. And she's a polymorph. She can change shape and size she can, as she says, embiggen herself or mm-hmm. shrink herself down. And she has healing factor, much like Wolverine. Yes. And so right from the beginning of the comic series, we have a complete integration with the Marvel Universe. So we have issues right out of the gate with Wolverine, with Captain Marvel, with Iron Man. And it was a really interesting, I think, like choice on Marvel's part to really integrate Ms. Marvel into... Mm-hmm. The world of the Avengers. Oftentimes when we have new characters, um, that doesn't happen, right? And oftentimes with diverse characters in particular, they're sort of off doing their own thing, off right. to the side. There was clearly a real effort here to to give this character, I guess, like a pedigree and history within the superhero canon, mm-hmm. which is part of her taking the name of Ms. Marvel. Right. 
But yeah, I think like, to me, that's the context, Joe. I don't know if there's anything else you would add. Oh, Bruno. We have to talk about Bruno. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the will they, won't they of the comics, yes. Kamala's best friend slash love interest, Bruno, who is a boy genius and a science whiz and also has a pretty difficult home life he was Mm -hmm. given up for foster care by his mom because of a drug problem and she uh, eventually leaves custody of him to um, her parents so he's being raised by his grandparents his grandparents are italian immigrants and he really is embedded in that world and that culture when he's at home but of course negotiates a different culture in school and so this is something that kamala and bruno really bond over when they're small and Bruno's the first person to find out she has superpowers and probably mm-hmm. the only person smart enough to help figure out what's going on with her. I mean, really, he's basically junior Tony Stark, right? Yeah. So it just makes it all the more confusing when real Tony Stark ends up showing up later. It's so true. I like Bruno better than Tony Stark. Well, sure, because Bruno has all the classic YA tropes that we know and love, right? You know, he's emotionally vulnerable. He's the best friend you could possibly ever ask for. But also, he's super helpful. Like, I love that she doesn't just have a kind of useless human best friend who's pining over her. Like, Mm -hmm. Bruno gets involved in things because he is useful to furthering the plot. Right from the beginning, he's the person who invents the costume material that can grow and shrink alongside her. The goop, don't get it wet. (laughs) Which is so great because like how long has Hulk existed and he's never figured out how to make his clothes grow and shrink with himself and Mm -hmm. he's really smart. (laughs) Yeah, um, I I would say we probably also need to talk about Nakia, who is Kamala's best friend and she's... Well, shocking no one. She's probably one of my favorite characters because Mm -hmm. she's got this kind of dry, wry sense of humor. Like, she's very practical. She's very career focused. And she's super politically engaged. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, the, the series is so interested in how people negotiate not just things like dual lives, which is a very comics kind of thing to do, like, particularly with superheroes, but like, how people have to engage in multifaceted and multicultural communities. So like Nakia is a woman who chooses to wear a hijab, but she does it mostly because she wants to. And she, you know, is involved in their local mosque. She's very political in that capacity, but like there's a lot of gender issues there. Mm -hmm. So I think she's really fascinating in that regard. I mean, everything about Miss Marvel to me feels like a learning opportunity for maybe some uneducated people about like, you don't need to be afraid of people because their skin color is different or they practice a different religion. Like, there's so much accessibility in these characters. Like, they are distinctly unique to their specific culture, but also they could be your best friend. Yes, totally. I think that's a really good point. Like, there was a lot of controversy when Ms. Marvel first came out. It was deep in the kind of post-Gamergate comics mm-hmm. should be not what they have become and people being really upset about seeing inclusive storylines in comics and all that kind of stuff, right? And people were really mad at first about Ms. Marvel. And then it sold like gangbusters. It was mm-hmm. by far the best-selling comic of 2014, It was sort of salvaged when so many of Marvel's more diverse titles in the Marvel Legacy line were... Yeah, they all kind of got shuttered, didn't they? They did, yeah, but nobody could argue with the sales figures of Ms. Marvel. 
And so I think you're right. There's something going on here where not only are all of these characters kind of dealing with different versions of the double life thing, like Naki has to deal with the fact that the way people see her and her actual political beliefs are completely different from each other. And she feels like she constantly has to like reintroduce herself to people as who she actually is, right? And Kamala's brother has a very similar thing where people find him untrustworthy because of the way he looks. And he's mm-hmm. always fighting against that. And so there's all these these storylines, but there's also like just a lot of fun and humor in the series. Like oh it's a gosh, so very playful humor. series. Like the first villain is this guy called the Inventor, who we think I'm not at least... a bird. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We think at least at the beginning that he's a giant anthropomorphic uh, cockatiel. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and like it's very very funny. Um, but also super dangerous like we're threatening vulnerable like runaway and homeless children and and kamala's nearly always dying she ends up having to like call in wolverine at one point or rather she ends up saving wolverine a bunch because of course (laughs) she's her own woman and she doesn't really need anybody's help well and the inventor is such a dark character too because as you say yeah he's so he's harvesting like the energy of teenage runaways because he Mm -hmm. believes that society has forgotten about them and will ignore them and when that doesn't work out later in the run he does the same thing to old people he goes into Mm. retirement homes because he's like oh these people are even more forgotten and ignored than the uh, children and it's like oh my god that is so dark and also so true true. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, so the series, I don't know, there's so many layers going on here. There's such a social commentary. Like, there's this constant theme of the superhero characters using the mosque for sanctuary. Mm-hmm. But the idea of a mosque as a safe space in America is always being right made Good luck like, with that. <laughs> problematic and dangerous because of the police. There's so many layers of kind of social critique and also just, like balls out fun mm-hmm. <laughs> that like i just love this series i could reread it and reread it and reread it over and over again yeah it, it's really joyful like that's the thing that i always remember about it to me it's very comparable to the discussions that we've had about the unbeatable squirrel girl because it has mm-hmm. that same kind of irreverent politically conscious humor with like really fun pops of vibrant color like that that's the thing that pulls me back is that Kamala is such a great character I love spending time in Jersey City with her and her friends but also visually these comics are so rich and exciting to read Yes, they really are. And it's um, something that G. Willow Wilson has referred to as the almost Miyazaki style of Adrian Mm. Alfona. Okay, okay. And I can really see it, right? There's this almost just delight (laughs) in the pages. Like, Mm -hmm. as you say, it's very colorful. The magic is really amped up. There's no desire to make like a dark and gritty (laughs) Miss Marvel here. Although some of the storylines do get really dark. They do, but it's almost like... The content is bleak enough that mm-hmm. we don't also need like a grim dark color palette, which thank yeah. you. Yeah. 
So I'm I'm curious. I know we we sort of told listeners you you only really need to read the first couple of volumes for today's episode, but because you just reread them and I have lingering negative thoughts about them, how Ooh. do you feel about the Civil War crossover? Because I feel mm-hmm. like that was a failed experiment across the entire Marvel universe. Like I did not enjoy it. It didn't seem like a lot of other people really liked mm-hmm. what it was doing. So I didn't love Civil War 2 in general, as you said, most people didn't. I did love Civil War 1. So I was extra disappointed by Civil Mm. War 2. So in Civil War 1, we have this very post 9-11 scenario where superheroes are deeply under suspicion. Mm -hmm. And the Tony Stark side decides that they're going to register with the government and basically become government superheroes and the captain america side is like no that's fascism (laughs) (laughs) we've done this before i've lived through it and there was this great series in civil war one called frontline which was like the journalists embedded on either side of Mm. civil war which i really loved so i was a big fan of that series even though it was very controversial um civil war two it basically does the same thing again except this time it's with the notion of predictive crime so Mm. Captain Marvel and some of the other characters figure out this way that you can, I can't remember what the guy's name is, who is there, who they're using his superpower to do this, but basically he can predict who's going to commit a crime Mm -hmm. and Captain Marvel totally out of character, by the way, which is one of the reasons why these events always suck. Um, (laughs) But Captain Marvel decides we're going to preemptively arrest people. That's what we're going to do. Yeah. Cause that sounds like Carol Danvers. Right. like, they may have this whole thing where, like, if somebody she loves is... Anyway, it doesn't matter. It sucks. Um, <laughs> in the Ms. Marvel version, or in the Ms. Marvel tie-ins to that, the thing I liked about it is it offers her this moment of kind of growing up and apart from um, mm. Captain Marvel, because yes. at first she's all on board, because it's what Captain Marvel asks her to do, and then she realizes it's super, super wrong, and she learns that you don't have to do everything that your heroes or mentors do if Mm -hmm. it feels wrong to you so i like that aspect of it but in general yeah i don't i don't like it when characters have to betray themselves in order to move the plot along which is what i think a lot of those world events end up asking of us Mm -hmm. and it does give us a really good villain in the character of becky who is one of my favorite villains (laughs) human villain yeah, human villain. Well, she gets she creates superpowers for herself in this form of this armor. She calls herself a lockdown. Um, I really like I really like a supervillain who's a blonde girl named Becky. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> that has a lot of appeal to me. So I enjoyed that part of the storyline. But yeah, in general, there's there's things going on in the series that I appreciate more. Like part of what happens in the Civil War event, Civil War Two event, is that Bruno is very badly injured. Right. And he eventually has to decide, like, do I want to be Ms. Marvel's sidekick for my whole life? Mm -hmm. Or do I want to do other things? Because, you know, there's ultimately this, like, negotiation that as much as he loves Kamala, he's not a superhero. And Mm -hmm. he will always be the sidekick. So he actually, like, leaves and goes to Wakanda and is granted Wakandan citizenship. And there's yeah. like a whole thing that happens. But there's also a really interesting, you know, our disability studies focused listeners will love the storyline there where he has to negotiate with needing mobility aids for the rest of mm-hmm. his life. And like, there's this, there's this whole plot line where he sees the future and he sees himself and Kamala in one possible future getting married, but he's mm-hmm. in a wheelchair and he's like all down on himself about it. And then Professor X in a hologram is like, 
Um, <laughs> what you talking about? <laughs> shut up, basically. <laughs> Your technology is better than what I had in my comics. Like, are you kidding me right now? So, yeah, and yeah. it's just, I think there is such a tension throughout the series to not just representation, but like inclusion. Like mm-hmm. having these conversations in ways that are nuanced and that allow for things like Bruno gets to grieve the loss of mobility that he experiences without ever being able to sort of pretend that his life is over because it's not right. Mm -hmm. And so there's, I think there's a lot of really interesting, I mean, I think G. Willow Wilson is like a genius. So (laughs) you're not biased at all. No, not at all. (laughs) No, it, it, the writing really is exceptional. Like it's not a surprise to me that this was so popular, both in terms of sales, but also critical accolades, right? Like this is award winning. Mm -hmm. So it's just funny, right? Like, as I mentioned, I only reread the first two volumes. So my memory's a little bit spotty because I was kind of reading these as the volumes were coming out. So I read them over a fairly lengthy period of time. But like, I completely forgot that the second volume is dedicated to Kamala's time up with the Inhumans, which, mm. you know, uh, the Inhumans are not always the most favorite of Mm-mm. characters. Mm-mm. Like they had their own really badly developed TV show that people just like to mock now. So... <laughs> It was interesting to be like, oh, right, I forgot. We go to space in just the second volume of this comic <laughs> series because so much of the rest of it feels grounded. Like, even when Kamala is stretching to comically large and small sizes or asking Lockjaw, the inhuman dog who can teleport but looks like just a really huge dog otherwise, like, <laughs> it's so ridiculous, but it all really works. Oh my god, there's um the fiftieth I was gonna say episode. The fiftieth issue is like mm-hmm. um like a bit of a celebration and lots of interesting people come in and write like two or three pages of it, including okay. Hassan Minhaj has like one of the two page anyway, Lockjaw comes back. Mm-hmm. Um the whole premise is that Ms. Marvel is trying to just have a sleepover with her friends. <laughs> of course, yes. But like the world keeps almost ending and she has to keep making excuses to leave the sleepover, get into her superhero garb and like at one mm-hmm. point she accidentally goes out like half dressed in her Ms. Marvel outfit and half in her pajamas and this like right. all this and so it's a very funny issue. But one of them is that Lockjaw comes back and he's chasing a kitten mm-hmm. and they keep teleporting themselves places and Kamala has to go keep rescuing them. And then she, cause she thinks that Lockjaw is trying to get her to rescue this kitten. And then, what, right. and then she figures out that they're actually just chasing each other and they've been chasing each other like across like time Universes and space. Times, yeah. <laughs> it's just so cute. So I silly. love Lockjaw. <laughs> it is. And I think that's, what's nice about the book is that it really can balance the kind of silly fun that I go to comics for often, Mm -hmm. to be honest. Like, we've talked about this on the show before, but I'm not... I read a lot of, quote-unquote, serious graphic novels, (laughs) but when I go to comics in particular, like, when I go to single-issue floppy comics, Mm -hmm. I am rarely looking for... You want fun. You don't want want heavy. I don't want heavy. And it's what... It's what... You know, when we transition to the TV show, I'm interested to talk about that because most of the Marvel TV series Mm -hmm. have been too grim dark for me and so i had kind of like i had kind of written them off like i probably will not be interested in that so it was really interesting to see this spirit come into the tv series with with the way they adapt miss marvel Mm -hmm. 
Well, you've opened the door, so why don't we step through it and talk a little bit about Miss Marvel, the Disney Plus TV show. Okay, so first off, I just want to say, I get it. You get what? High school. Kamala. Kamala. Another adventure shirt. Cute. She thinks I'm some kind of weirdo. You are a weirdo. Boys. Excuse me. Yeah. <laughs> you're kind of on my shirt. Sorry. But you're staring out the window in your little fantasy land. Kamala. Hey. Already? Really? Come on. Like. Do I have to figure out my whole future before lunch or is like... Maybe they're right. I spend too much time in fantasy land. That is not you. It's not really the brown girls from Jersey City who saved the world. That's a fantasy too. Did something happen to you? No, why? Did you hear something? Kamala? What does it feel like? Cosmic. I always thought I wanted this kind of life. But I never imagined any of this. Do you even know what you are? I'm a superhero. Okay, so the show is a six-episode limited series. It just wrapped up last week. That's why we're covering it this week. And it was developed by Bisha K. Alley. And she actually worked as a head writer on Loki the first season. And then they were like, hey, do you want to come back and maybe take on more responsibilities? And she was like, "Mm, I see you're doing Miss Marvel. I would like to do that. (laughs) So she shepherded this whole thing. Obviously, this is part of phase four. So we are leading into a tie-in with the Marvels, which is Captain Marvel's sequel, but we'll also have, uh, you know, Monica Rambeau and Miss Marvel, who here on the TV show is played by newcomer Amon Vanali, a Torontonian. (laughs) Sorry, she's so good. I read all the reviews that were like, was this part? designed for her like she's so Mm -hmm. good she okay so undeniably the best part of this show is this casting like i don't know if she was bred in a lab to be this character (laughs) because the casting is just so perfectly spot on oh she's so good and it's interesting you know one of the things that i have discovered is like a particular niche interest of mine Mm -hmm. is superheroes who are already into superheroes right like so often the story has been like you become a superhero and you've never heard of superpowers before Mm -hmm. which doesn't make any sense in 2022 right (laughs) but we have we have this generation of characters ms marvel is one um unbeatable squirrel girl is another Mm -hmm. and outside of the marvel universe faith is another oh yeah yeah. the superhero to be is already a superhero fan kid yes and so that's a really important part of kamala khan's character right she's obsessed mm-hmm. with captain marvel in particular from yes. way before she gets powers i heard that in the they did like a series of zoom interviews as part of the casting process okay and apparently um 
Iman Vellani was so excited to show Sana Amanat her whole bedroom because it was just like <laughs> Avengers, Avengers, like everywhere. And Amanat was like, yeah. And then I thought she was done. And then she's like, oh, wait. And she opened up her closet and no. it was also full of more Avengers stuff. It's just, Too it's funny. so Kamala. You want to like hug her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Honestly, I, I think the casting overall is really spot on. So we have Matt Lintz as Bruno, the best friend. He's super sweet. It's also very important that both of these actors look extremely age appropriate. Like yes. they look like high school kids. They look young. When we get into dangerous situations, you feel more threatened for them because yes. they're babies. Such babies. So cute. Uh, we have Yasmin Fletcher as Nakia. We have Zenobia Shroff as Maniba, that is Kamala's mom, as well as Mohan Kapoor as Yusuf, her father, Segar Sheikh as Amir. And one of the things that the show does, it does a couple of things very differently. So the big thing that some people took issue with is that she is not an inhuman in the show. Mm-hmm. She mm-hmm. is actually part of a Jin culture who draws her powers from newer. It's like an alternate reality. The conflict is basically between her and a group called the Clandestine. And they are people from another world who were trapped on earth and they Mm -hmm. need to recover two powerful bangles that will allow them to pierce the veil between worlds but of course if they do that the newer world will eat our world so kamala's like can't let you do that Mm -hmm. the main antagonist is najma who is played by nimra buka and she has a son cameron and he is played by risha and you know, obviously he's the cool kid, he's rich, uh, Kamala maybe starts to get a bit of a crush on him so that we can get a bit of a love triangle going with Bruno, but then ultimately what ends up happening is that Najma dies, sacrificing herself because she realizes that the bail isn't going to work, mm-hmm. and Hamron ends up being an orphan, but he gets powers of some kind. It gets a little messy in the final episode. <laughs> it does a little bit, yeah. Because he doesn't really know how to use his powers, and he's still really, he's full of anger about mm-hmm. the way things have gone down. And he is sort of like, I don't know why you're so interested in these people loving you, Kamala. We should just kill them all. And it's like, oh, it, we're not going to do that, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, one of the things that you and I have always enjoyed about YA in particular is how we use things like coming of age and, if we're being honest, uh, people going through puberty. Mm -hmm. And particularly when we talk about things like dystopias or superheroes, it's how does puberty get reflected in things like powers Mm -hmm. or trauma and that sort of thing. So here is very clearly like, oh, the more emotional that Cameron gets, the more dangerous his powers become. So Mm -hmm. he draws the attention of the Department of Damage Control, DODC, who is mostly represented by Sadie Deaver, who is played by Orange is the New Black's Alicia Rayner. And honestly none of this stuff really worked for me i was like cool Mm -hmm. whatever i don't like i don't need a black ops thing chasing these kids around jersey city but we've got to get kamala into position so that she can join the marvels next year so the only aspect of this that i liked is that it gave the opportunity for 
what I am calling in my head superhero home alone, okay. which, which is the sort of like Rube Goldberg machine scenario that the kids set up in the high school to try to distract right. the DODC and buy time. Mm-hmm. I loved all of that. Like it was very funny, funny and light and it's well shot. It lightens the fact that these kids are in real danger. It's mm-hmm. wildly unbelievable for two reasons. Number one, the police don't use force. And number right. two, the local police do the right thing. So those two things that are just like wildly unbelievable in our current present timeline. Uh-huh. Sure. Um, but, but other than that, no, I really like I liked that because it's also a callback to the first episode where Ms. Mm-hmm. Marvel has this or I should say Kamala has this idea to sneak herself and Bruno into Comic-Con mm-hmm. and it's a whole like badly designed Rube Goldberg machine. And so it's almost like her maturity and her coming of age because he or she can execute on a plan. So I liked that aspect of it, but Mm -hmm. I didn't like Sadie Deaver as a character. It didn't make any sense to me why she goes against orders Mm -hmm. to take down the kids when she's been told not to. Like what's the motivation there for her to risk her whole career on this? It makes no sense to me. Um, She's just not enough of a character, right? Like, yeah, I like her because I recognize her from other properties that I liked her better in. Yeah. And here she's just a generic heavy who seems to be doing things, as you said earlier, I think to advance the plot. It doesn't really make a ton of sense. No, it doesn't. And there's something about uh, Marvel series in particular. They like, this they particular like this showdown between yeah. yeah superhero and some kind of government agency it's mm-hmm. they like it they're comfortable there and sure. i think it was always going to show up oh yeah but it's just wild how much less interesting it is than you know even just the minutia of like the lies between the kids like i want much more i would have liked a whole episode about like I don't know how they're all going to deal with Bruno being at Cal State while Kamala's still getting used to her powers. Like, that's mm-hmm. much more, in- or Caltech or whatever, that's much more interesting to me than whatever's happening with the DODC. Thanks very much. <laughs> For sure. And I, I feel like, so there's been, I would say, probably three pockets of criticism against the TV show. Well, four, if you want to take the people who are like, wait, a brown Muslim in the <laughs> in the MCU? Get that out of here. To which I yeah, say, we're not listening racist to them. be gone. <laughs> but the three actual semi-legitimate criticisms of the TV show is, um, one, that she is not an inhuman. She's this, like, Jin Noor thing, which people mm-hmm. are kind of like, oh, wait, but what are we doing? That's not canon. How is this going to work? So they've well, started to address that. I was going to say, the folding it into the notion that this is just another kind of mutation, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. which is also part of phase four of Marvel, where they're going to start rebuilding the X-Men since they now bought the rights to Fox. And yet, sorry, can we just talk about the nerd Easter egg when Bruno in the last episode says, your genes have a mutation. And then in the background, the theme song for the 1997 X-Men series plays. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Love it. Love it's very it. fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, okay. Second criticism is that Kamala's powers do not manifest in the same way. So she has mm. these kind of jaggedy crystal looks to them instead of herself just embiggening. I wonder how people will have felt after this final episode where mm. she does actually embiggen. It looks a little bit more comic appropriate. I oh, will okay. say when I first <laughs> saw that her powers manifest in that first episode, I was like, oh, I don't love it because I, I love the idea of just a giant regular hand or mm-hmm. a mini little Kamala. 
Mm-hmm. Well, Minnie Little Kamala gets up to so much hijinks and adorableness in addition to fighting crime that I mm-hmm. really, I missed, I have to say I missed that. And I loved it when she whispers, and big yes. in the last episode. I was like, yeah, come on. Finally. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I don't mind the crystals as a superpower. I don't know if it's that I wanted to understand them more because I don't think I would have enjoyed a whole lot of backstory. Mm -hmm. But when Comron also makes crystals, but like he makes jaggedy pointy evil green crystals and she makes (laughs) like pro-social purple and pink crystals. Like (laughs) I don't, I mean, I get it like on a symbolic level, but I don't know that it works for me. Yeah, I mean, are we basically just saying that bisexual crystals are great and more masculine, <laughs> traditional, gloppy crystals not so good? Who knows? <laughs> um, okay, so the the final criticism, and this will get us, I think, to also where we want to go, is that some people have felt like because this is only six episodes, there's a huge escalation in terms of Mm. the stakes and the scope of storytelling. So the first three episodes are smallish scale, right? They feel Mm -hmm. appropriate to Jersey City, to a high school experience. It's all good sort of introduction to new powers, new character. And then people started to take issue when all of a sudden in episodes four and five, we go over to Karachi Mm -hmm. and suddenly we're time traveling and we're talking about partition and like we're really going big. It's big scope, big stakes, I think just grander than a lot of people initially envisioned. And some people have not loved that as much feeling like, oh, we went from small to huge in no time at all. Hmm. I think it's a fair criticism. I do too. In that they only had six episodes to work with, mm-hmm. and that was always going to be jarring because yes. I wouldn't have wanted them to not give us the small stories. Like mm-hmm. the small stories are really, really valuable because oh, that's yeah. where all the character development happens. And so uh-huh. it's kind of like, well, we need the small stories, but I also wouldn't trade the partition, right? The two episodes that mm-hmm. deal with partition for anything in the world no and we needed the last episode to get us to so eh. like i agree with the criticism but the only way to resolve it would have been to have more episodes because yeah. we needed all of those things yeah and it's tricky because even in this six episode which i would say was my least favorite mm. of this first maybe only limited series mm-hmm it felt like we were starting to stretch the story. Like we almost didn't have enough to do, but we still needed to get to the desired end point. So I told you off air, I almost would have been happy if we could have just ended at the end of episode five, but obviously we did need to still do some setup. So I appreciate this was maybe never going to be wholly desirable or executed in a way that would appease everyone, but I'm fully in agreement with you. Like I, I, sympathize with people who feel like it had to go too big too quickly but i don't understand the criticisms of the partition episodes like even if you just take those two out and isolate them and we should acknowledge that both of these episodes are directed by charmine obad chinoy i probably mispronounced her name she is a very famous previously documentary only filmmaker who has done extensive work on partition like Mm -hmm. basically collected stories from both sides uh for like museum and like award-winning documentaries she has never done fiction work before 
And this story was so important that she was like, I want to come on and do these two episodes. You need to hire me, so I will do this right. And let's shout out that she is Pakistani-Canadian as well. Mm-hmm. Canadian all over this series, and I love it. <laughs> I love it so much. Um, so I think I think a lot of the criticism about... I shouldn't say a lot of the criticism. I think in general, the partition episodes have been quite celebrated. Mm-hmm. Where I have seen criticism has been, you know, this thing that comics people have really is not canon. But it kind of is canon, right? Like, mm-hmm. the series talks a lot about Pakistani-American experience and specifically about why there was a diaspora and that directly relates back to partition partition comes mm-hmm. up in the comics for sure yes and it feels like it, maybe some people didn't realize that it was already embedded <laughs> in the so. comics to which i was like well that's sort of a you thing that's not a show thing and kamala's powers have always been rooted in her family's connections and in the geography of karachi like oh that gosh, has yeah. always been so the bangles the mm-hmm. bangles have always been like a family gift and in fact in the comic series kamala's mom knows about her powers and the family history like way 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 way, way before you know it gets revealed in the series and mm-hmm. so i think that what the creators have done here is taken an opportunity to tease out a mm-hmm. plot line that already exists in the comics yep. and to use it to like educate, <laughs> make people mm-hmm. aware of like, this is very much about the damage, the violence, the cruelty of colonization, like what yep. it means for a country with dominance and power to draw a line on a map and say you belong here and you belong there and that's the end of it and like to me it's a triumph like these two episodes to take a superhero tv series that people are going to be sitting down to watch with popcorn and to really like just kind of escape Mm -hmm. and to use it as an opportunity to tell this particular story like I can't give these creators enough credit for that. And I feel like if that's really something that bothers you and you don't want in your media, like, I'm just... I got very sweary when I saw that people (laughs) were complaining about it. I was like, I get it if you're just like, I like the Jersey City stuff, 100% can relate. But also, if you're honestly complaining, like, I posted a nonsensical response on, like, a television review uh, app that I follow where somebody was like, lol what did i just watch it doesn't make any sense and i was like i want to boot you out of the universe like if you can't educate yourself on important historical issues get out of my face it's interesting too right when you see where the critique comes from because Mm -hmm. the people who have a lot of negative things to say about ms marvel and particularly about the partition arc Mm mm-hmm you know, they're also the people who really, really like, you know, grim and extremely violent superhero stories often. And so, like, it's one thing to say, you know, there's a real tonal shift when we move into the partition stuff. And, you know, I was in it for, yeah, the Jersey City and the high school stuff. And and that was jarring to me. Like, that's one thing. I don't agree with you, but I get where that perspective comes from. Mm -hmm. But if in every other Marvel series you watch you really get in and on board for the darkness. Mm -hmm. But here, when the storytelling is about, like, something that really happened and that you probably don't have enough education about, and this is when it bothers you, because that's troubling to me. Like, I think that 
this was a really fascinating use of the genre of superhero stories Mm -hmm. in a way that I don't think I've seen done super effectively, maybe since the first Civil War arc. And I don't mean the movie, but I mean the first, the way the first Civil War arc was really about questioning the Patriot Act and challenging the Mm -hmm. sort of sweeping police powers that came in with that. Like, to me, this is in the same vein of superhero stories as social critique. And I'm always here for it when it's done well. And this was done really well. Yeah. And and it still feels like a Miss Marvel story, right? Yes! Like we're still getting the action that we're looking for. I thought the chase scenes through the city, like through Karachi City, were really good before she goes back into the past. And then honestly fully crying yes like you know that she's going to be the one who saves her grandmother that much is obvious but it's just it's so it's so overwhelming like to me it really captured the horror of what partition was even if you came into it barely understanding what the term even means or what actually happened it's doing it in such a sensitive impactful but like accessible way right like I can't help but imagine that a bunch of people who had never known about this are suddenly so much more informed and maybe they will now seek out additional resources and really like dig into the the messiness that was this absolutely horrific piece of colonialism that the UK incited on India and Pakistani people like ruined entire generations of lives. But I'm sorry that you didn't like it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just, I have no time or patience for those people. The other thing that I think is really triumphant about those two episodes is that in and amongst doing everything that it does that is, that we've all just talked about, it still looks like a Ms. Marvel episode. Like yes. the colors yeah. are still super saturated. Like the the stylistic visual signature is still present. And mm-hmm. it's, to me, it does exactly what the comic book does, which is that there is always this sense of delight and joy in Kamala discovering her powers and what she is capable of, even when the individual moments and stories are really upsetting. Yes. And I think that that too, artistically, is is a huge challenge. And it's very well done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all of that. As we said numerous times, I can understand the criticisms of like oh i just preferred this other version but for the people who are like man shouldn't have gone or done this i'm just like mm, okay well i i can't respect you i'm sorry <laughs> i don't care about your opinions not really you don't get to no. talk anymore yeah <laughs> uh okay do you have any other thoughts about miss marvel no i think we've really covered everything oh i will say my favorite thing in the tv series for me is in the last episode when we see that both Kamala's name and her costume are given to her by her parents. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, family is super important throughout the comic series. And it's easy for the TV show to step away from it in that last episode when it's so interested in like this DODC stuff. Mm -hmm. So to have those two quiet moments, one where Kamala's mother gives her the costume and two when Kamala's father tells her that her name has meant Marvel all yeah. along mm-hmm. perfect just perfect just like chef's kiss <laughs> loved it love these parents are definitely in the running for parents of the year as far as the our show is concerned like they're great mm-hmm. i really love the family and i love that they made the point of including both of those moments in the final episode 
Yeah. And and even just, you know, other things that you and I always appreciate, like we're speaking Urdu in this series. Mm-hmm. We're employing artists. I don't know them off the top of my head, but like I was bopping to the music, particularly mm-hmm. in those first couple of episodes. Even, yeah, as you said, like the way that the titles are reflective of pop, pink, bubblegum, city, urban graffiti look like there's just a lot of really great stylistic touches that make me so appreciative that this series and this comic series exist. Yeah, I totally agree. I really love those closing credits and um, love the two mid-credit scenes. The final mid-credit scene is a great connection out to the Marvels, like makes me want to watch that movie already. So mm-hmm. Free Larson, CanCon again. Love her. It's just nice to have this integration in the Marvel universe of a character like Ms. Marvel. Mm -hmm. To me, this is something so much more than when we race or gender swap an individual existing character to, to kind of have this full origin story and have it not an alternate history, not happening on whatever earth Two, none mm-hmm. of that bs just <laughs> part of like the core avengers story this character i think it's huge and important and i was so glad to see them execute on it as well in the series as they do in the comics like it's just just a real pleasure to watch i was so scared it was gonna be bad and then the people who complain about diversity in superhero stories would feel triumphant and yeah. so to hell with you guys this was great (laughs) and like totally appropriately ya right like Mm -hmm. i do think that that was one of the other criticisms like people who have not been enjoying the show didn't like it because this is a show about a teen girl like it's so teen and i love that as well because uh, i'm sorry i didn't really give you a ton of time to talk about it mostly because i'm just like but like a lot of these other Disney plus Marvel shows, I would say maybe with the exception of WandaVision, which does sort of traffic in trauma porn, the rest of them are just sort of meh. Like, yeah, they haven't been as appealing to me as I would have liked. And this one for the first time just felt like, yeah, I'm over here. I'm doing my own thing. We're having a blast and we're setting up the Marvels. I really liked it. I just, <laughs> I'm just really happy it was good, Joe. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, Let's do some YA bingo. Yes, please. Because I have read all 10 volumes. So I have, <laughs> I have some things to add. Bingo! Not a good bingo. Okay, so we have to go with coincidental classes for the mm-hmm. TV series with the guidance counselor, which, by the way, is a very cheeky nod to G. Willow Wilson because his, right. his little plaque on his board because he's Mr. Wilson. It's GWW. Mm-hmm. I want to include here a queer secondary character. Okay. For the comic series, because uh, Zoe comes out further into the series and ends up having a big crush on Nakia. Oh, really? Um, that okay. is not requited because Nakia is not queer. And mm-hmm. they have this really lovely scene where they talk about, like, friendship. And it's really cute. So, yes, nice. let's include that. Yeah, Zoe's an interesting character in that capacity, right? It's the, the girl that we used to be friends with who's now mean and popular. But, oh, wait, she's actually still our friend. Classic trope. <laughs> Yeah, it's good. And she she becomes good again, and all it takes is her life being saved. (laughs) Fair. That's all it takes. Obviously, we've got Magic Supernatural. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we've got good friendships. Where would Kamala be without her friendships? Right, yeah. 
Yeah, it's important. Um, so we've got quite a few dead family members. Mm-hmm. We've got Bruno's dad. We've got um, Comran's mom in the end in the TV series. Mm-hmm. Take your pick. There's lots. Yeah. Um... I'm giving it a cheeky, it's not actually filmed in Canada, but there's so much CanCon connections. I feel like we are owed that square. We are. We earned it. (laughs) We also have a wedding that gets crashed in the TV show when Kamala's brother tries to get married. And I did love the sequence where they incorporated in a little bit of dance because if we're going to talk about Pakistani culture, I want to get in a bit of dance. Yes, and that wedding happens in the comics as well, as well as uh, a big scene around Eid in the in the comics. So, mm-hmm. yeah, good to include. So we do take a road trip to Karachi. Oh yeah, well we don't really drive, Joe. A road trip is a road trip. <laughs> yeah, the road is right in the title. Okay, all right, I'm going to give it to you, but under protest. <laughs> Boo. <laughs> Boo yourself. Um, I want to. I want to flag ableism. Mm-hmm. I was going to say ableism in a good way, but I think that the way the comic series handles Bruno needing to use mobility aids mm-hmm. is actually really nuanced and interesting. And like Bruno fighting his own internalized ableism mm-hmm. in the back half of the comic series is one of his better plot lines. Right. Yeah. Uh, we've obviously got some CGI because we're doing yes. our usual superhero stuff. I would say the TV show in particular turns Kamala into a chosen one because she is ultimately the one who has to save her own lineage. Yes, and she's also a chosen one in the comic series for the same reason, effectively. Like, it's this interplay of, like, the family connection, something Mm -hmm. specific to her genes, and the Terrigen mist setting it all off in the comics. Like, it could only happen to Kamala. Right. Uh, the final one that I have is Borrowed Time, particularly for this final episode of the TV show. It feels like we are racing against the clock to get Cameron out of the city. Yeah, and I was also going to argue for a borrowed time between the relationship between Bruno and Kamala as Bruno decides what to do about going away to school. Mm-hmm. All uh... right. Uh, oh, sorry. I also had musicality just because I like oh, yeah. music a lot. And I feel like it's very well incorporated into the show. It's really good soundtrack. I really enjoyed it. So that does give us two lines. Job show. You did good. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So that is a wrap on Miss Marvel. And Brenna, that means that we are headed to book club next. Yay. So our next book club is Cousins by Virginia Hamilton. And like, we are kissing the deadline. You've got to get your thoughts in this week, right, Joe? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're mm-hmm. talking like a T minus 24 to 36 hours, please. So if you want to get in touch with us about Cousins, long form is our favorite form. You can email us hkhspod at gmail.com. But if you've got something shorter, you can find us on the Twitters at hkhspod or on the hashtag hkhspod. Joe, where do they mm-hmm. find you with their Ms. Marvel fanfiction? <laughs> I can be reached at B stole my remote and that's the letter B. And if you want to find me to talk about how G. Willow Wilson is the greatest and or the most great ever, you can find me at Brenna C. Gray. That's Gray with an A. Mm-hmm. And folks, just because the next full length episode is quite long, 
going to tease if you've been following us on the uh twitter socials we've been revealing the schedule a month in advance just so that people can read along with us but it's particularly useful when we read something like the knife of never letting go oh my god the knife of never ending book yeah it's a good old plump 500 plus pages so if you are gonna read with us get started now go hit that uh yeah and until next time I will see you on the page. And I'll see you on top of a street lamp. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye-bye. But, like, the world keeps almost ending and she has to keep, like, making excuses to leave the superhero part. Does she superheroes are deeply under suspicion and mm-hmm. the the tony hart that <laughs> tony hawk oh my god 